Good morning, everybody. My name is Jim Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have actually been gone for a while, but it's been fun listening online uh, to those messages that I had uh, uh, the, the, the opportunity to miss because um, I've been in a, a couple of different places over the last few weeks, but it is so good to be home. Um, as much as I love meeting God's people um, wherever they are, I just I really love being here. And I'm excited about this morning, I'm not only just sharing a message, but having an opportunity. I listened to Jake and Steve's. Uh, interview last week, and what we really want to do is um, inform you, not just about them, um, but to hear like what God has done in their lives so that we might be encouraged. Um, That's what I like doing. I like hearing your story of faithfulness and realizing that like my story or all of our stories, it's the story of God in us. And so really that's what we're here uh, to celebrate is what God has done in your lives and to learn from you in terms of what it means to be um, a missionary, whether that's in Ethiopia or now back in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So I want to begin by just asking you kind of from your perspective, so what was it like living in Ethiopia? Well, that's a really broad question, but when Jim asked me to talk about that, I decided just to talk about it in terms of purpose and calling. Um, So living in Ethiopia meant that Jake and I had this one goal, and that was to tell others about Jesus, and that was to plant churches. And so in order to accomplish that goal, we had to build a clinic because you can't be in a remote setting like we were um, and be allowed to do that. The Ethiopian government wouldn't let us do that unless we had some way that we were serving the community. So um, our purpose and calling, our life in Ethiopia was defined by this one thing that we wanted to do, and that was to plant churches and for people to come to know Christ Um, Jake shared a little bit about why we were called, how we wound up in Ethiopia last week. Um, the other, the other thing we had to do was learn a language. So our first year we worked in, or we lived in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and we learned Amharic, which they say is one of the top 13 most difficult languages in the world, but you can't. You can't reach people if you don't know how to talk to them. So it's always difficult for me to just fathom is because a lot of us think it's difficult to just, you know, leave family and to pack up and to move to a a completely different country. And then to think about the fact that, and to begin this process, I need to learn this really difficult language just so I can get in on the, I mean, just that in and of itself um, really shows, I I won't just say your dedication, but the power of God's call on your life. So that's no small thing to learn a mark. Yeah, and Jake's way, Jake excelled way further than me in that too, so. (laughs) That's neat to see. Yeah, no, continue on about but what it's like, what it's um, like to live there. Uh, so we lived in a remote setting. It was, um, it was, when Jim visited, it was 12 hours outside the capital. It's now more like 11 because the roads are getting a little better. <laughs> Sorry that you couldn't visit at that time. Uh, that last hour was a killer. So, um, but because it was in a remote setting, you know, everything that we did, like I said, is centered around this goal of planting churches, so building a clinic, um, you know, we lived without running water for our first year and a half. Um, so Jake would haul jerry cans so that we uh, had water. Um, I homeschooled the kids. That's not something I would have ever done. I mean, not not nothing's wrong with homeschooling. <laughs> Gosh, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here. I mean, I would never homeschool. No, I just I would that for me I wouldn't have done. Th- 
I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't in Ethiopia. So all of this, again, the things that we did had to do yeah. with this, this singular goal. And actually, um, not one part of it was easy. But the thing that was easy is knowing what our purpose was, what our calling was, so you know what things... Um, sorry, I can't, I can't do that. Or I, you know, I remember there's some churches that can we Skype with you? No, we can't Skype where we're at, you know, so, um, yeah. Um, and it was, you, you mentioned in first service, just the difference between what Jake was doing and what you were doing. And at times you even felt like, what am I doing here? I'm just kind of raising kids and Jake's out doing the real ministry and how God spoke to you. I mean, he, he talked last week about how he had in college, he'd done these summer trips to Russia and through Campus Crusade for Christ and had felt God moving him. But I'm the one that did the internship in Ethiopia. And I'm the one that was like, hey, let's, I think we should really consider Ethiopia. He's like, all right. So we get there and our first year down country, after our first year in language school, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I felt like my job was to change diapers and, um, keep these two little humans alive and my, meanwhile Jake was out being you know Jake hey high five let's drink coffee <laughs> together talk about Jesus and I was you know I was like this was what I was called to do but I was realizing that no in order to see this accomplished this is this is what this looks like and you're gonna have to take one for the team because we we're in this together and we've got this purpose and um at the time the two people that we had are very important so well, and it's good to stop and just to realize, so over in Ethiopia, it was this, we call it mundane or the monotony of just, it was just life over there, right? Like they didn't, it wasn't just Ethiopian life, it was, it was life. The kids need to be raised. You, yeah. you mentioned the statement, keeping humans alive. That's a big deal, by the way. Um, on, behalf of, on behalf of humanity, I want to thank you for, uh, for, or on behalf of children that needed a mom, thank you. But it is, but we, I get it. I get what you're actually saying. Um, so what's the transition been like now that you're coming home? Is it like, yay? No. Um, I, wish, I wish I could say no. that it was. Yep, be honest. Um, I shared at first service that our transition has been going on pretty much since January. Um, it's when we kind of started telling people in our village that, you know, the churches are ready to be left now. And that, that was one of the reasons that Jake and I made the decision to transition um, out of Yomp. And that's because our churches were thriving. They were doing things on their own. And actually, if we had stayed there, it really wasn't going to help them. They would be dependent on us. So um, transitioning out of there, our clinic was handed over to the government because um, it was our project timeline was up. And um, we went through goodbyes with these people that felt like almost like kids to us. Um, you know, like sending your kid off to college and hoping they do well. That's kind of how we feel about our churches. And you were there 11 years. Yeah. So that's, I mean, just imagine, that's over a decade. So yeah. in relationship, the emotional, relational investment. Yeah. Yep. And, and just kind of helping them understand that this is, you know, the Holy Spirit will be with you. This was never, this is never Mr. Jake's church. Um, this has always been God's church. And he, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. So slaughtering an ox um, you know, walking through that process with them and grieving. Um, and then saying goodbye to staff. Even we have great staff in Addis Ababa and I almost didn't want to say goodbye to them. Cause I, I haven't told them I'm not going to do the talking. I'm going to let Jake do it because I will, yeah, I, I won't be able to get through it. 
I mean, these are people that watched me when I had a two-year-old and a little baby and then ministered to me and taught me a lot about who Jesus is. You think you go over there to share with them, but we had awesome people that were, you know, our staff and audits that, that did that for us too. So, oh, transition. <laughs> so, it's been a lot of tears. Um, so I thought that after we'd said all these goodbyes and we came here, I thought, well, at least I know Stillwater and I know I'm going to be sad, but I figured it would come later, but I've been a mess. And um, it's been hard for our kids. They've been a little bit of a mess. I think the only stable one in our family is Shay. Um, I actually didn't cry the first service at all. No, you didn't. Sorry. No. I told you not to apologize. Yeah, do so, not apologize. Um, so it's been hard for them. Um, Aiden was in boarding school for two years because of where we lived. We lived in a remote setting, and so he had gotten to the point where he needed to do something different than homeschooling with mom. And those two years were awesome for him. And he said a lot of goodbyes to people that he lived with 24-7 all the time. And um, he's grieving losses. Um, I know Gwynny is. Um, Shay is too, but just looks a little bit different for her. Sure. So it's been harder than we thought from the get-go. Okay. What are some of the things, because you are excited. This is God's new chapter on your life. It's not... You know, you said goodbye to God and you said goodbye to purpose and calling, so it's not that. So you are excited. So what are some things that you're excited about and what are some things that you're concerned about in terms of the transition? Um, the, the most obvious thing that I'm excited about is that our family of five is all together. Um, <laughs> from where we are staying right now, the junior high is a 20-minute drive and to take Aiden to school, but it's, I don't have to have a passport to go see him, and I don't have to pay for a kidney. Not yet anyway. I mean, that may change in the next little while, but yes, not right now. You don't need a passport to go to the junior um, I can I can get to him, and I can see him every day, even some days maybe when I don't want to. I'm just kidding. Um, I, but I'm excited for the... <laughs> I'm excited for the five of us to be together um, and to kind of figure out what this means. I'm excited to be able to share with people in my own language. I don't have to work. You know, it's not as much work to try to communicate. Um, My concerns are um, we don't have a house or jobs. We did not come here with a master plan. We just knew it was time. And so we are putting every bit of our faith in God that he has a reason that it was time to move on and um, and we know that but I shared in first service that we'd had this great idea not our idea God's idea of going to Ethiopia and I can remember we were so excited we had our trunks packed and these two little babies essentially we got there and a week later it hit me I was upstairs at, you know in this team house with this little infant and I thought oh my goodness what have I done I really, I, okay, now there's no going back. I'm here, and I've kind of had that here. Um, so it's been an exercise in faith um, to not have any clue what we're doing, and <laughs> but to trust that God will make that known just like he did in Ethiopia. That, I need to hear that because did you see what you just, hear what you just said? It took a lot of faith to go there, and it's taken a lot of faith to come back here. You need to trust God over there. And now I need to trust God back here. 
And I love that. I, like I need to hear um, just how important that is because that, that makes God the issue and the need and the, the power and the, the, the presence of God, the faithfulness of God, not, not here, not this, this place. It's, it's, it's so good for me to hear that. Um, so what are some things, because you know, Steve and Jake last week talked about the, the global aspect. How do we raise up missionaries? How do we send missionaries? How do we support missionaries? Um, but now we're going to be looking at this week as we talk about the Great Commission mission we're going to be talking about recognizing there's a mission field here, and we have a, that's why you and Jacob have been such a great example for us. So you, you, we saw you go, we sent you, and now we see you back. So what are some of the similarities and differences between missionaries, between being missionaries in Ethiopia and now being missionaries in Oklahoma? Um, well, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. Um, I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus here. Um, but I think that what I want it to be is that you have the same, the same thing, um, this one goal. I don't know what, what Jake and I's demographic of people will be. I don't know. Jake's praying for that. He's been praying for that for months. Give me my people. Who, who needs to know about Jesus or who, who is the least of these in Stillwater? Um, and that's kind of our focus, but we don't know, does that come from having a job where you are, inter- sure. you know, interacting with these people? Um, I think that that part I want to be the same, and I shared at first service that you would think it would be easier here because there's smooth roads and clean water, there's no language barrier, but for some reason, um, I don't know, it it seems more challenging to me, and I don't want it to be. Um, So the differences are really obvious, you know, the things that are really different about Ethiopia and Stillwater, but I'd like for the way we listen to God, I'm giving glory to God here, just that he was, he took us and used us and made disciples, and I hope he can do that with us here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm excited about seeing what that looks like. Grateful to do ministry by sending you, grateful to do ministry. Now, closer in proximity, but it's both has been, have been with you. Um, what an absolute joy. I, I shared in first service as well. I remember when the first team went to Ethiopia, it was kind of started for us a little bit of this recognizing the need for global missions as a church a number of years ago. And the first time that we went over, the team came back. And if I can be brutally honest with you, um, Julie was on that team, a number, and they were so excited. And I remember sitting in staff meetings going, pretend you're excited, pretend you care, pretend you're excited. That because, hurts. <laughs> well, it but if I can be honest, it's just so hard unless you've been there to own it. It just is. I hear about these trips, and it's kind of like looking at somebody else's honeymoon. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, but I wasn't there, right? Like, it's, it's not the same thing. And so that's one of the reasons why early on I needed to go and to see what was going on. It's, it's one of the biggest reasons why I felt I needed to go to Poland was, don't know if I'll go all the time, but I really need to, to get a, a sense or a feel um, even, not just as a pastor, but just as a Christian, I really felt like I need to see what God is doing. And I'm so grateful. I said this in first service, but these, we need to hear it again. Glory to God, all glory to God, but thank you for giving to us a picture of faithfulness. And I don't, well, no, I do. I'm clapping for the Lord, <laughs> and I'm saying thank you to you. Because it, it really is, it really is a bringing of together. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 
um, that God is the one doing this. He is the one that created this in us. He is the one that is empowering us. He is the one sending us. He is the one bringing us home. He is the one doing all of that. But thank you for your example and for your faithfulness. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Um, I really am. No, I mean, but you don't have to, you don't have to even do it perfectly. Um, I know God is going to faithfully do that. What can we be praying for as we close? What can we be praying for, for you and for Jake and uh, for Aiden and, and, and Gwynny and Shay? What can we be praying for? Um, I think just for everything that I mentioned, um, the, the transition that this would, um, not that Ethiopia will fade into the distance for our kids. It was home to them. They left home. Um, but that they will find that there's home here too. Um, and it's not any, you know, it's, it's not anything that anybody's done. People have made us feel so welcome, but we just still feel like a deer in headlights. <laughs> so um, pray for the next step for us. Pray for us to be faithful, um, to be obedient, to listen um, to what God has to say to us and pray for our kids um, to like America. <laughs> Uh, they do. They like some stuff. Um, <laughs> well, you know we're what? Right, our, we're right. You should have asked me this like a year from now when I had all these good pat answers, no, but I don't no, have no, any. So. I don't, actually, then I'll, I'll stop listening to you. When you have the pat, I want, no, but I want the, don't you want the real? Like, don't you want the, the grit? That's what I want. So um, I grew, I, I raised three kids in, um, on the mission field in Stillwater. And, um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, not... Actually, that started out better in my head. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, so we are going to pray. Um, we are going to be here for you. Uh, they were on staff in Ethiopia. Now they're back here. Um, we're so grateful to see what God is doing in them and through them. Um, I hope you get to know them. I hope that you will continue to, to pray for them. Um, the Bible says that we are to give honor where honor is due. And Paul talks about that with government authorities and church leaders. But one of my favorite passages is found in Philippians 2, where Paul sends back a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And he says to the Philippian people, you know, you sent him to do this work, and he almost died doing it. And you guys had some pretty crazy times in Ethiopia. And when he comes back, will you honor this man for what he has done? And I know it's hard. I know you guys hate the spotlight, and you hate all of that stuff. But for God's sake and for the name of Jesus, I want to say thank you. Okay? Let's pray. And God, truly all glory ends up with you. You're the one that put it on Jake and Aaron's heart. You're the one that sustained them over there. You're the one that gave them provision and peace. You're the one that gave them success in ministry. You're the one that watched over them day and night. You're the one now you're the one that has brought them, I can't even say home, to a different home. And you're the one who will continue to provide and you'll be the one to give peace. You are the one who will give provision. You are the one who will um, watch over them and their kids. And so God, I just thank you. Um, like in the book of Acts, how much I wish I could have known what it was like um, to be with, and then I mentioned some names. Um, but God, we have very similar things happening in our midst. Jake and Aaron and Aiden and, and Gwynny and Shay are part of that list, and I just want to give you thanks and glory. Um, Father, may you give them um, the same provision and the same peace, the same purpose that you have always been giving them. May they see it, find joy in it, work through it, and may we do it as a church with them.
So I just thank you for it all. And it is in the incredible name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, we've had some, some longer interviews lately uh, with Jay and then with Jake and now with Aaron. And the reason why we want to do that is we just want you to see what life and ministry and mission looks like. Um, one of the things that I was blessed to do whenever they were back on furlough, uh, we had an opportunity to, to, to be in a life group with Jake and Aaron and some others. And it was so um, helpful for me to process what it looks like to be a Christian um, where I live. And I, I, I know, and I, I hate to hold this over them, but I've been a missionary longer than you. We came in 1991 to this, this country called America that so needs Jesus. And uh, my wife and I have been serving. We raised three missionary children, and it was so hard. No. Um, but listen, there's more truth to that than I realize. But it's not because I'm Canadian, but it's because I'm Christian. It's not about crossing like a borderline. It's about entering into like the baptismal waters where all of a sudden my life, my, my old life is dead and my new life is alive and now I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and that changes everything. That's what made me a missionary. That's what helped me recognize that no place is home and every place is home as I wait for him to take me home. And it's so important that we, that we own that. It doesn't, I can put, like, go, gather, grow, and we can do a whole series on you need to go, and you need to gather, and you need to, I mean, I could do that all day long, but fundamentally at its core, it is what does it look like for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ, where God has placed me, when he has placed me there. That's what it means. And so last week we talked about kind of going to the ends of the earth, but that begins by us recognizing that wherever we are, we are all there for the name of Jesus Christ. And one thing that I have learned over the last few weeks, or maybe better yet, I don't know if I learned anything new per se, most of life is being reminded about what I already know, what the Bible has already taught me. I can, I can get distracted by all of the many's. I got on an airplane, and, and next thing I know, like, I'm, I'm in Munich, Germany. I'd never been in Munich, Germany. So all these faces of people that I, I guess I knew existed, but I had no idea that they had, like, real faces and real problems and real lives. They were just, like, a number. So many people live in Munich. So many people live in Germany. So many people live in Europe. And then you go there, and you see them, and all of a sudden, you just go, wow, there's a lot of you. Then we go to Poland. There's a lot there too. All individual, all, all with all these hosts of things. And I, I just, I, there's, there's not many of us. We're, we're, we're here to help. We're from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Buckle up, Germany. Buckle up, Poland. And you just feel like this big. Came home for a few days and uh, just next thing I know, I'm in the Dominican Republic. And get ready, Dominican brought a team of, uh, what was there? There was, uh, what did you think? There was seven of us, so we were there. We fixed it. No more problems in the Dominican Republic. You're welcome. I've seen, um, just, I mean, I've seen, always seen pictures, but I actually got to spend some time a few Saturdays ago at Auschwitz. 
So I get overwhelmed by the number of people. I get overwhelmed by just the problems that exist in the world. And just look at just all of the difficulties to see a building that had been built and then destroyed by the Nazis and then kind of rebuilt by the Soviets and, and now it's kind of in disrepair and I'm scraping paint off the wall going, I can't believe I'm here. All of the problems that exist in the world. Walking into a mother's home in the Dominican Republic took her seven years to build and I did a tree fort better probably in the seventh grade. She's raising her three children there. And I just feel overwhelmed by the many difficulties and hardships that exist in the world. And unless I have some, someone to help center me, I can just become cynical, skeptical, depressed. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty for what you have. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about what you're not doing. What I want you to think about this morning is not necessarily guilt, but responsibility to those to whom much has been given. Much really is expected. And that's what I feel. I wish I could just feel it in Poland. Or I wish I could just feel it in the Dominican. Or I wish I could just feel it when I lived in Canada. But no matter where I go, it seems like the Lord says to me, now that you're here, be all here for me. But God, there's just so many, well, well listen, what, what, so many people, so many problems, so many difficulties. And that's why it is so important for us as we move into our future. It's not just Jake and Aaron that need to figure out, hey, what are we going to be doing this fall purposefully for the mission and the glory of God? You know, it's not just them that need to process that. It's every single one of us that needs to process that. Every single one of us needs to realize that if it's true that the mission of God is ongoing... And that the purposes of God continue to be, in some sense, new every day, as maybe the scenario or the circumstances or the life situation seems amazingly similar, there is still a mission that is happening all around us. And we need to engage it. We need to be involved in it. Yeah, but there's just so many. Where do we begin? We begin by recognizing, interestingly enough, the oneness of God. Forget about the so many. Can I just have your attention on, I want to talk about the oneness. See, the Bible will, will, will gladly admit that there are many people in many, many difficulties, many hardships, but the Bible is more interested in this fact. There is one God, there is one spirit, and there's one savior. Before you get distracted, before you get wrapped in all of these different things, remember the one. Because if not, then, then what I do is I, I just run from apartment to apartment, scraping. I run from soup kitchen to soup kitchen, feeding. And God says, uh, don't forget me. Don't forget that without me, those other things don't have meaning or purpose. Don't even forget I'm the one sending you. Don't forget me. There is one God, there is one spirit, there is one Savior. 
That's why it's a small, we kind of blow by this in the quote unquote the Great Commission. But if you have your Bibles, a few verses I want to look at in our few moments that we have this morning is Matthew chapter 28. Just look at verse 19. We talk about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Yes. We talk about go therefore, and it's a participle, as you go. Sure. And we need to make disciples, and we need to make sure they're baptized. Great. And then, da 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 da, Father, Son, Spirit. And I will be with you always. It's amazing how much, I'm just speaking for myself, how much I skip over this very important statement. And I'm going to look at the whole verse. Look at verse 19. It's not a small thing. It's not just kind of at the end of a prayer, you know, uh, in Jesus' name, amen, like that's nothing. No, stop. I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is the oneness of God that holds us together and sends us out missionally. It is the oneness of God that holds us together. It is the oneness of God that gives us that kind of encouragement and support and strength. It is the oneness of God that keeps us from just becoming a club or some kind of social organization that really cares for the needs of humanity. No, there's, there's lots of those. And, and honestly, God bless them as they benefit humanity. But since there is one God... And there is one spirit through which God empowers. And since there is one son through whom only has been given a name that all people might be saved. That, that better like, give us some focus. The one God, one, one, one power, one spirit, one, one son, one, one savior. All of that idea had better direct our missional focus. It had better shape and hone who we are and how we operate in the world. Because if not, it's going to be very easy for you and I to get distracted by the many. The second thing that the Bible really hits upon is this. Although there's many, 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 there is one world that God has made. There is one problem. And there's also only one solution. See, wherever I go, I'm just like, wow, this is going to be totally different because right now we're in Ethiopia and people here are so different. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, um, they're very self-centered and they're very, um, they, they can be very selfish. That's so different than in America. Like everywhere I go, I'm just thinking, no, no, hear me, I'm not saying that there aren't like cultural differences and certain people, you know, wash one hand and don't wash another hand and we, we nod or we kiss or we do whatever we want to do. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying there aren't cultural differences, but you do know that God has made one world and the Bible makes it very clear there is one problem. And so often what we want to do is talk about all the, I would argue there are more symptoms from the one problem. I've seen oppression, I've seen violence. I've seen hardship, I've seen manipulation, I've seen exploitation, poverty, illiteracy in the the last few weeks. And at the root of all of that is one problem. Here's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 1. I want you to look at these verses. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. There's no one verse that explains everything, okay? I love the Bible. We're trying to use it to get a sense of some of these deep, 
fundamental issues so that it can focus us, so that we can be Christians who are about the Great Commission, on mission. If we never go to Ethiopia, what do we do today? What do we do tomorrow? What do we do in Stillwater, Oklahoma? So recognize that wherever we are, there is one world, there is one problem, and there's one solution. Paul says this to the Roman church, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? Suppress the truth. That's what it is. I I do not want to let the truth be known. And Paul ultimately is gonna talk about that there is a God and he deserves the honor that he deserves. And they suppress the truth, knowingly, unknowingly, intentionally, unintentionally, many different ways actually, but they suppress the truth. That's the problem. The truth about God in the world because of false religions and false ideologies. Those those lies are being told in the world and the truth about the God that made the world, that owns the world, that loves the world, that died for the world, is not being spoken. And so Paul continues on in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor, that's the key thing, They suppressed the truth and they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. This speaks to every age, but I just, I get it so easily, so so visible in, in today's age. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Everywhere I've gone in the world, and I haven't gone everywhere, it just seems to be that people trying to find something to live for, something to worship, something to to just kind of hold their lives together and religions are being created and man-made attempts to understand this crazy complex universe that we live in. And instead of seeing what they should see, and Paul says it's clear to them, they decide to manufacture their own system and play their own religious games. And by the way, you don't have to go to Africa to experience this. It's, it's right around us. See, and that's the problem. The problem in Poland and the Dominican Republic and, and Ethiopia and in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is that there are people who claim to be wise are dark in their thinking. They suppress the truth and they do not honor God for who he is. That is the fundamental problem of humanity. Do you believe that? See, if that's the fundamental problem of humanity, then the answer, the solution is what? You know his name. What is it? It's Jesus. Well, easy for you to say, okay, fine, don't listen to me. Um, his, his name is Samuel. I, I, I met him when I was in, the, in, in Colombia earlier this year. Uh, he, he, he told me a story about how um, he really was very, very poor and had to kind of change out the bottom of his shoes by adding cardboard. But the streets would kind of wear it thin, and not only that, but when it would rain, can you imagine having cardboard shoes or at least cardboard soles? 
Um, he, he, had to, to take, he had to borrow his friends, like a, a neighbor's refrigerator, so he could take baggies and put juice in them and a stick so he could sell them on the street corner so he could eat. I mean, he had a rough life. His dad died when he was six months old. Didn't have a father to provide for him. You want to know what Samuel said his number one problem was? He didn't know Jesus. He said this to us. Hey, as we go around this week, and you're going to have a lot of opportunities to see a lot of kids in need, I just want you to remember, everything you give and everything you do helps, but only Jesus transforms. Easy for you. Okay, it's not easy for you to say. Do you really believe that, Samuel? Samuel said yes. Her name is Catherine. Her mom got pregnant when she was working at um, this brothel. Um, and the drug dealer slash brothel owner, you know how they can be, um, got her pregnant and then wanted nothing to do with Catherine's mom and her. She ended up, her mom had obviously a lot of struggles of her own and so someone else raised her. And what Catherine kept saying to us over and over and over again that her number one problem in life was that she, she really needed to follow Jesus. She needed to know who Jesus was. And I found that fascinating because I want to say, you know, because where we live, we think your biggest problem is that you have a rough upbringing. We really think your biggest problem is, what's your biggest problem again, Catherine? And she would swear to you, like, I need to know Jesus. It's like our missionary from, from, from Ghana says, like, if you go somewhere in the world and you really help people, but you don't help them find Jesus, you're just being cruel. Really? Now, now, by the way, the beauty of it is, while we're there, we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're going to create a clinic. We're going to do everything. We'll give them the shirt off our backs. We will feed them, and we will love them, because that's what Jesus would do if he was there. But we are going to tell them about Jesus, because if not, all you're doing is helping. You're not really transforming. And if we take our missions in Stillwater and we find some amazing ways to help people, but we don't give them the real solution to life's greatest problem, which is their distance from God by suppressing the truth and not honoring him, we're just being cruel. I want to ask you, church, do you believe that? Or have you settled in for some kind of gospel-ish, Christian-ish way of living your life? Because what I found as I began to travel the world that those who are what I might call, I feel stupid saying it now, but what I might call like front lines ministry, what they seem to believe in Wuj, Poland, is that what actually Joseph needs, he was the 63-year-old gentleman that was helping clean his apartment, what they actually believed he needed more than nice, clean, painted walls was Jesus. And that's what our mission is all about. There's one world, there is one problem, and there is one solution, and here's God's answer to that solution. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses four and five says this, but God being rich in mercy. This is after Paul said, we all by our nature, all of us by our nature are objects of God's wrath. I know that's not popular for me to say. I know it sounds insensitive, but what if it's true? That by ourselves, we are left in opposition to God. That the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of my own life needs a savior. What if that's true? Don't suppress it. What if that's true? 
Well, then here's the solution. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is the solution. What Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ alone has done. One God, one spirit, one savior, one world, one problem, one solution. And that that brings it down home to us. And there is one kingdom, not kingdoms, there's one kingdom and it's his. And the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he sent his son who died for us in our place for our sins and then by that sacrifice and by the power of the Holy Spirit established a kingdom that you and I are now a part of and that you and I now get to talk about, and that you and I now get to spread, you and I get, now get to celebrate, you and I now get to be participants in as God invites us to be not only kingdom recipients, but kingdom spreaders with the good news that God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. There's one kingdom. It's why I guess it's just weird. Where's home again? You pick. It's, there's one family. You know, my, my parents told me this because, you know, they, they lived in, in, in Germany and in France back in the 1960s. I never lived close to home. And my mom and dad, I always kind of wanted to be around grandparents and aunts and uncles. And, and that we just didn't have that opportunity because of my dad's job. And my dad just kept saying, but, but son, you, you have all the family you'll ever need. It's called church. And, and, and the older I get, the more that I actually know that's true. Andrea and I, I used to always say this, right, honey? We would say this. I le- we left home <laughs> back in 1991. No, we didn't. We left one of our homes back in 1991. And we went to Joplin, Missouri. We found family, and we found a new home. And for the last 13, almost 14 years, we've actually found home in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Because it's one family. Whether you like it or not, we're family. And it's why I can go to Poland and I'm sitting in this restaurant eating this like crepish Polish sausage with cheese and onions. It was amazing. And I'm talking to Rafał. That's his name. He's a church planner in Łódź. And it was like I knew him all my life. It was like he was my brother. And I'm sitting at this restaurant in Santo Domingo and I'm I'm going to pretend I can't remember what I was eating, but it was so good. I remember totally what I was eating. And um, I'm hearing Jonathan speak. And and Jonathan, um, again, kind of a similar situation. His dad got his mother pregnant, but he had another whole family and wanted nothing to do. He would meet with his son occasionally at different locations. At 14, he finally just said, listen, like you're never going to be a part of my life. And, And he... But can you imagine how important that is, a 14-year-old boy? And, and you know what he said? <laughs> he said, that was really, really hard, but let me tell you what made everything okay was the fact that I had my identity in Jesus. Easy for you to say, Jonathan. I- I'm looking at this guy going, it's like I know you. Something about what we share in Jesus seems to make us one family. Do you know what I'm talking about? And here's the thing, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you are going, sure, easy, maybe easy for you, you're a pastor, you're on staff. 
I promise you, it doesn't matter where my office is. It doesn't matter what country I'm in. See, part of us living missionally is recognizing the truth that there is one kingdom and there's one family and then living like that's true. To live missionally is to open up my life emotionally and relationally, financially, every Lee. I need to open all of that up and to live as though there is one kingdom and one family. What a joy that is. Paul puts it this way. I love this statement in Colossians chapter three. Paul describes the transformation that takes place in us and he says this, you've put off the old self with its practices. You've now put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. There is not slave or free, but Christ is all. Jesus is all and he is in all. And that's the kingdom and that's the family and he is our mission. He is our mission. Everything else we do might help, but only Jesus transforms. So what do we do? We begin to to recognize the need for us to live like this in all circumstances. It's not a matter of what you don't know. It's, It's a matter of recognizing the depth to which it will cost you. What's it gonna cost you? And are you ready for the good news? It'll cost you everything, and it'll cost you nothing because Jesus Christ has already paid it all. It'll cost you everything because it just becomes so intrusive, and the so many does demand so much, but Jesus Christ sustains it all, paid it all. The Holy Spirit will actually lead it all. And so I just take these words as some final words of encouragement. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it's a verse you should have underlined. If you want to know what it looks like to live missionally, it looks something like this. The apostle Paul said, I do not account my life as having any value or being precious to myself. I'm not trying to figure out how to take care of myself. What I'm actually doing is focusing on Jesus and trusting him to take care of me. He goes on to say, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received, God is actively involved in this, not just leading Jake and Aaron, but leading leading you to where you work and to where you live, to your neighborhood, and then to testify, that means to open up your mouth and to speak about the truth of Jesus. One of the things Jonathan challenged me when I was in the Dominican Republic was he said, you know, one of the things that's so difficult about living in the DR is everyone in America thinks it's already been evangelized because we're Christian-ish people. But you don't understand the degree to which I need to re-evangelize all these people who think they're saved but are very, very lost and far from God. And I said, are you talking about Stillwater or are you talking about Santa Domingo? That's not just a Dominican problem or a Polish problem. That's a human problem. And that's our mission. I'm not trying to stir anything up. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just saying we are surrounded by a lot of people who think being nice is being Christian. And they need to hear the truth about what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. They need to hear the truth about what it means to live obediently to him and what it actually means for us to be followers of Jesus and not just good American people. That is our mission, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I don't know if I could live like Jake and Aaron. Good news is, if that's not your name, you don't have to. 
But God has done something for you. If you you don't know what to talk about, talk about Jesus. If you don't know what to really talk about, talk about what Jesus has done in your life. All you have to do is tell your story. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.23, another verse I strongly recommend you underline, he says this. I do all of this, meaning all of his life. He said, it, um, to those who are Jewish, I became Jewish. To those who are Greek, I became Greek. To those who are Amaric, I learned Amaric. To those who live in Stillwater, I, I learned to love OSU. To those who are, and Paul just lists all of these things, and he was, would do anything. He says this, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. You know, one of the things that happens when you go to, 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 to difficult countries is you just look at everything that we have. I hear this all the time. Go down to Mexico and people, I just feel, feel so bad for all that we have. And I'm like, you mean that incredible peace that we have with Jesus? No, I was thinking more about like my Xbox. Like you, you feel really, really guilty about the fact that, that you are no longer at war with God and he is not at war with you and you really want to share that with them so that they can experience that same peace. No, I just bought a new Honda. And I just feel so bad for the fact that, you know, my, 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 my shoes have their own room in my house now and I just feel so bad about that. No, what does Paul say? I became all things to all men. I did absolutely everything. For what reason? so that they might share in the blessing. And that's what it means for us to live missionally. Again, I'm not asking you to feel guilty. I'm asking you to feel responsible for the marriage that God has placed you in, for the children that God has entrusted to you, for the place in which you work, for the neighborhood in which you live, to live fully missionally testifying to the goodness of God there. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? Seriously, don't you want to be a part of a church like that? So do I. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us. And it is not the fact that we have um, Amazon and uh, the best Netflix in the world that I'm excited about. It's not my Xbox or my iPhone. God, it is Jesus Everything else, everything else is like convenience, which sometimes isn't even a benefit. God, I thank you for Jesus. May I talk more about him. May I find more joy in him, more peace in him. May I recognize the responsibility that you've given me in my marriage, with my family, in my community, where I work. And that God, may I trust you to do a great work through me. Father, you have given us a mission. (laughs) No matter where we go, may we be all there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you want to talk more about this mission, in terms of what it looks like, we would love to talk with you. God bless, and we will see you next Sunday.